The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can grab those. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. My name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here at the church. And uh, we've actually been going through a sermon series uh, called Foundations. Uh, And at the beginning of the year, we started this uh, sermon series uh, just talking about some of the distinctives that make us uh, LifePoint Church and some of the things that really drive us uh, into uh, not only knowing God, but uh, being used by God. And so in in the first week, we actually talked about the connection between uh, the gospel and the church. And, and how when, when someone receives the gospel, when someone actually comes to faith in Jesus, what happens is God actually connects them with the local body, with the church, uh, to be shaped by God, to be shaped by the church in order uh, to be about God's glory. And so uh, the second week, we actually talked about how we want to be a church that's defined by the power and the presence of God. Because what we see in the scriptures is that the people of the, of the New Covenant, the people of the New Testament, they, they receive the Holy Spirit in such a way that it actually changes their lives. God says the New Covenant church would be a church that, that, that becomes my people. I will take out their heart of stone and I will put in them a heart of flesh. I will actually put my spirit within them and they will follow me and they will, they will love me and they will teach others about me because of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to be a church that's marked by the power and the presence of God. And then last week we talked about how that power and the presence of God in us actually leads us to a place of service and sacrifice, how Jesus says, follow me. And we would be willing to forsake everything to see his glory and his kingdom come. This week is the last week, and we're wrapping up this foundation series, and today we're talking about one key component, the major component for us that actually drives us forward, which is sharing and multiplying, how we are given the Holy Spirit in order to multiply disciples into the world. Let me show you uh, this call from Jesus in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing into Jesus, into him, to hear the word of God. This is very early on in Jesus' ministry. This is very early on uh, when he started to go public. He was teaching the people. This was even before he calls his first disciples. And the crowds were gathering into him. They wanted to hear the word of God. It says, he was standing by the lake, and he saw two boats in the lake, and the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, which means they were fishing all day. They didn't really catch anything, so they came back, and they just started cleaning up for the day. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, or Simon Peter's, he asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished speaking to them, he said, Simon... Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered. I can just picture this in my mind right now. And Simon Peter answered, Master, and he probably says it in that voice, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. <laughs> but at your word, like he's probably, you know, just whatever you say, right? At your word. I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, 
they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the other partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Imagine this. Whatever you say, Jesus, like throwing out the net. And there's so many fish that it's breaking their nets, right? They can't even haul it all in. And they bring another boat along. And there's so many fish, they bring them both into both boats so much that the boats start to sink. I don't know how much weight that is, but that's a lot of fish. (laughs) They both actually start to sink. Look at what it says. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down. At Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Listen, when you realize that you are in the presence of Jesus, that you realize you are in the presence of God in the flesh, that the Messiah is here, this is the Savior of the world, you have no really other response than to fall down and say, you're holy, I'm not, you're, you're righteous, and I am sinful, have mercy on me, God. And so he falls down at his feet and replies, you are the Lord, for he And all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Look at the person on your left and say, don't be afraid. Come on, look at the person on your right and say, don't be afraid. He says, says, don't be afraid. Be afraid. Don't you love that the first thing that Jesus says to him when he's down there on his knees crying out to God, he says, hey, 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 don't be afraid. Is that a message that we need to hear so often? Hey, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look, look at what he says next. He says, don't be afraid. <laughs> From now on, you will be catching men. I'm going to be honest, I said this in the first service. Every time I, every time I read this, this verse, where it says, from now on, you'll be catching men, you know what's going through my mind? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is the greatest showman. <laughs> from now on, <laughs> you will be fishers of men. <laughs> From now on, you will put down your nets and follow me. You'll follow me. Have you guys seen that? All right, you know what I'm talking about. My wife has been playing that soundtrack through my house for the last two weeks. It's driving me crazy. As soon as I read this, I'm like, from now on. What? He, listen, he, I don't know why I do that. Let, let, let's go back. He says, from now on, (laughs) you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, it says that they left everything to follow him. Listen, Peter and his brother Andrew, as it says in Matthew, it says that they put down everything. James and John, they left their boats. They left their nets. They left everything to follow Jesus. Listen, these are ordinary dudes. These are probably teenagers 
who are just working for dad Zebedee, right? I mean, they're just out there trying to catch a fish, trying to, trying to make a day's wage, trying to work hard. You know, they're probably discouraged. They didn't catch anything. That's probably not very good fishermen, right? And so here's the deal. They, they says, says that they left their nets and they followed Jesus and they walked with Jesus and they watched Jesus and they learned from Jesus and they, they watched Jesus do some powerful things. I mean, they watched Jesus teach and they watched Jesus heal. They watched Jesus open blind eyes. They watched Jesus walk in the water. They actually watched Jesus calm the storm, which would, would have been awesome, would it not? It's like it says that he was in a boat laying on a mat like he was sleeping. The storm comes. He gets up and says, stop it. And then he lays back down to take the nap. And the disciples are in the other end of the boat like, did you see that? right? And so they're freaking out a little bit. And they actually watch Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They're watching this guy. They're learning from these guys. And listen, after about three years, Jesus says something that would probably rock their worlds. It's found in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to these ordinary teenage men, he says, he says, as the father has sent me, I also send you. Okay, now hear me. Because this is one of our foundations. Is that if we are going to be a church that's going to be all that God has called us to be, we have to be ascending church because God is ascending God. We have to be ascending church. So as these ordinary men watch Jesus sacrifice his life, lay down his life, go to the cross willingly because that's what our sin deserves. That he would, he would take the stripes upon his back, that he would take the nails in his hands and feet, that he would die a sacrificial death because you and I being separated from God is that's what we deserve. And so Jesus laid down his life and they watched that, they witnessed that. But they also witnessed that on the third day, after Jesus died, he raised to life. They raised to life, and once again, they began to follow him. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus comes to them after the resurrection, and he says, hey, go to the mountain that I told you to meet in Galilee. I'll meet you there, right? And he goes, and he says this in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, all authority. Everyone say all authority. Let me ask you, how much authority is that? It's all of it, right? And so, so every ounce of authority is given to him. He says, all authority, both in heaven and on earth, has been given to me, Jesus. So now, here's the commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Everyone say all nations. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is known as the Great Commission. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard the Great Commission or saw it on a wall somewhere. This is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus tells the disciples. This is what he tells us to do. Listen, at LifePoint Church, we must take the Great Commission and make it our consuming ambition. This must be the thing that drives us forward. This is what we're after, to multiply disciples through the gospel for the glory of God. Because Jesus is ascending God. 
we must be ascending church. We must be a church that says we are about this. Now, now here's the problem that we face as Americans. This is the problem that we face as American Christians. Most people think that, that preachers minister locally, missionaries minister abroad, and everybody else just goes to church. That's where we're at. That most people would say, okay, well, the ministers, the, the professional Christians, the pastors, those are the guys that minister here, and missionaries, we can send them out to go overseas or wherever so that they can minister abroad, but everybody else, we just attend church. Listen, may that never be said of Life Point Church, ever. This is what consumes us, that we are called by God to make disciples, every one of us. Most Christians, they can articulate truths about God. They can even quote to you the Great Commission, but very few people have really experienced the power of God. Very few people have really experienced the all-authority power of Jesus when he says, go and make disciples. Very few people have actually experienced God working through them in the Holy Spirit. And let me just tell you something. It's the greatest adventure that God would have us on. It's the greatest task that he's given us to go and make and multiply disciples. And so many people have come to believe, you know, God can't use me. God wouldn't use me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a technician. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a salesman. I'm a teacher. I'm a student. Some of you are like, I'm a fisherman. God uses ordinary men and fills them with an extraordinary power to be about his mission and his glory. Sometimes it feels overwhelming because we think that Jesus gives us an impossible assignment, that you and I are just kind of left on our own to learn the lessons, that you and I are just kind of left on our own trying to figure this thing out. How do I multiply disciples? What's the strategy? Let's create a plan. Let's create a structure. Let's, let's try to figure this thing out. And we're all left on our own power and our own, own presence to try and do this thing. But listen, the reason why it feels overwhelming and the reason why it feels exhausting is because we don't ultimately understand the truth of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand what Jesus says when he says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. Well, in John chapter 16, he says something extraordinary to his disciples. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, he says, I'm actually going back to the Father who sent me. I'm actually leaving here, and I'm going back to the Father. And it says that the disciples were so filled with sorrow. I mean, of course they were. Wouldn't you be? I mean, you hang out with Jesus for three years, right? He feeds you, gives you bread and fish, and you see him do some miracles, and you listen to him teach, and he's so powerful. He's so amazing, this Jesus. And he says, actually, I'm leaving you. Well, look at what it says in John 16, 7, though. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No, no, listen, he says, I tell you the truth, not because uh, Jesus is in the habit of telling lies. He says, I tell you the truth because he says, hey, I need you to know this. I need you to pay attention to this. This is an important deal right here. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He says, it's actually better than I leave. It's actually to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, then I will send the helper to you. I will send the spirit to you. I will fill you with the spirit. He says, it's actually better that I leave you. Think about that for a moment. I mean, just think about it. You're there with Jesus. 
And Jesus actually says, you know, it's actually to your advantage that I leave. Jesus says, it's, it's better to have the Spirit inside of you than me beside you. He says, that's better. It's actually better for you to be filled with the Spirit than just simply walk and follow me all the day. He says, it's better to have the Spirit. Jesus He doesn't give the apostles and he doesn't give us this great commission to just simply go and make disciples and say, good luck. Go figure it out. You know, come up with some strategy. He actually says, I will be with you, which means that his strategy is the Holy Spirit inside of each one of us, empowering us. You know, when Jesus says, I'll be with you even to the end of the age, that was probably pretty confusing to them, particularly in Acts chapter 1. Because what happens is he says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in Acts chapter 1, it says that he ascends into heaven. And they're probably like, wait, 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 wait. What you just said, that you'd be like, where are you going? Which is pretty awesome. I mean, he's ascending to heaven. I mean, uh, I mean they're such an awe that it says that these angels were standing with him. And they're like, what you looking at? Don't you? You got to go be about his business, right? I mean, you got to go, go to work now. And so, so they're standing there like, where did he go? And he says, hey, listen, I need you to go and I need you to wait because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Jesus says this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, and all of Samaria, and to, what does it say? To the ends of the earth. He says, you're going to actually receive the power that you're going to need to actually fulfill the Great Commission all the way here, and there, and over there, and actually to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, the power to fulfill this Great Commission, I'm actually going to give that to you. I'm going to send the Spirit. What if Jesus told you to reach your friends? I mean, what if he was standing right here and he says, hey, I want you to go reach your friends. I want you to go tell your neighbors about me. I want you to begin to share with others the good news of Jesus, that, that, that God, through Jesus Christ, does not hold your trespasses against you, but actually reconciles you back to God through him and him alone. What if Jesus would say, hey, I want you to tell the world about that? Most of you would just simply say, yeah, I know. I know I'm supposed to do that. I know that's part of the plan. But listen, what if Jesus actually told you that you would receive the power from him to do that? I mean, what if we really took it seriously that Jesus said, you are going to receive, he actually says your name. You will, and you will, and you will, and you will, you will receive power to be my witnesses. What if Jesus told you that you would actually receive the power to be witnesses in this city? What if he said that to you? What if he said you're going to receive power to be witnesses in all of Missouri? You're going to receive power to be witnesses over the entire nation. What if Jesus told you that he was giving you the power to reach the entire world? Some of you would say, how's that possible? God, how are you going to do that? 
some of you would ask, okay, that sounds nice and all, but what's the plan? Here's God's plan. Write this down. God's plan is Holy Spirit-empowered multiplication. That's the plan. Holy Spirit-empowered multiplication. What would it look like if a church was so consumed with the power of the Holy Spirit working through them to be witnesses that they would actually live their lives on mission? What would it look like if a church would constantly get on their knees and say, God, fill me with your power, fill me with your spirit so that we would be able to multiply not only in the city but to the ends of the earth? Could God use a group of believers like that? Could God use a group of believers numbering less than 200 people to make his gospel known to the ends of the earth? Is that even possible? I mean, could he use such a small group, ordinary men and women? Well, if they're empowered by the Spirit, multiplication must happen. If we trusted God with promises to fill us and use us over our own fears and our own self-empowerment, he will reach the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, it says that they went as Jesus told them to go. And in verse 15, it says that they were gathered together asking God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. And it says that there were about 120. Everyone say 120. It says there was 120 of them. 120 believers. And then Jesus, true to his promise, sends the Holy Spirit, and it says that every one of them was filled with the power of the Spirit. And then Peter, being filled with the Spirit, he stands up and he begins to proclaim the gospel to all these foreigners, men and women, all who have gathered together in the day of Pentecost into Jerusalem. Listen, they're all from the nations. How do you know that? They all speak different languages. And so he's standing up and he's proclaiming the gospel to them. And, and you know what they say? They say, what do we do? They say, how do we receive this Jesus? Acts 2, 37 through 39. Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive. Look at it. Look at it. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the, what's it say? The Holy Spirit. He says, believe upon Jesus, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is actually for you and for your children and those who are far off. It's actually for everyone to the ends of the earth, for everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. In verse 41, it says that those who received the word were baptized and were added that day 3,000 souls. Everyone say 3,000. 3,000 people. The gospel reached from 120 to 3,000 people. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if we could just get a dynamic preacher like Peter we could go from 120 to 3,000 in a day too. I know that's what you're thinking. But I don't think that's the point of the text. Because I think what we need to see is by the end of chapter 2, God takes these ordinary people 
and fills them with God's power, they become devoted to God's purpose and come, become consumed with reaching the ends of the earth. Because verse 47 in chapter 2, it says that they had favor with all the people and every day the Lord added to those who are being saved. So every single day, the Lord would use these spirit-filled believers to proclaim the gospel, and the Lord was adding to the number every single day. Now watch this, because it gets even better. In chapter 3, a crippled beggar is healed in the name of Jesus, and it says that all came upon all the people. In chapter 4, Peter and John continue to preach Jesus, and they get arrested, because sometimes when you preach Jesus, people don't like that because it makes them either confess Jesus or reject Jesus. That's the only two options. And so they're proclaiming Jesus. They get arrested. But in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to what? 5,000. So 5,000 people. Now, now in chapter 4, verse 13, it says that the people begin to recognize that Peter and John were common Men, listen, the Bible actually calls them uneducated, common men. He says the people recognized that these were common dudes, but realized that they had been with Jesus. Second thing I need you to write down is this. Common men plus the power of Jesus makes an unstoppable combination for God's mission and multiplication. Listen, common men plus the power of Jesus, equals God's mission for multiplication. That's what happens. When common men are filled with the power of Jesus, it actually propels them to be on mission, to multiply. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Everyone say Jerusalem. It says the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests came obedient to the faith. So even the priests were coming to faith in Jesus. So through the proclamation of the gospel, the number of disciples increased. Now, let me ask you this. Where were the disciples being made? In Jerusalem. But where did God tell them to go and witness? To the ends of the earth. So disciples are being made in Jerusalem. Jesus wants them to go to the end of the earth. Now now listen to me. Because many pastors and many churches would consider themselves successful by seeing 5,000 people gather together. Many pastors and many churches would say, man, look at what we've done. People are increasing. Numbers are being added. But write this down. Listen to me. Large gatherings does not equal the Great Commission. Large gatherings of belief, it doesn't equal the Great Commission. Because listen, in Acts chapter 7, we know that God's plan is to reach the ends of the earth, not just gather together, But to actually send it, God is ascending God. We must be ascending people. In Acts chapter 7, we meet a man named Stephen. And the Bible says that Stephen was filled with the spirit and faith. And he would go and he would proclaim the good news about Jesus. 
and proclaim faith in Jesus. And so what they do is they arrest him because that's what people do when they get offended by Jesus. They arrest him, yet he still proclaimed Jesus. And so it caused so much anxiety in the people when he'd constantly talk about Jesus and repentance in Jesus and faith in Jesus and come to salvation in Jesus. It angered the people so bad that it says that they, were, that they stoned him to death. One of the leaders of the stoning was a man named Saul. Saul was famous for his persecution. Now, now, now look in Acts chapter 8. You've got to see, like, turn to this one for sure. Acts chapter 8. Look at what it says. Stephen was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus even to his death. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day, on the day of the execution. Listen, on that day, there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Where's the persecution? At the church in Jerusalem. You with me on that? And they, who's the they? The church. Great persecution. The church, watch this. They were all scattered throughout the regions of what? Judea and Samaria. Except for who? Except for the apostles. It says that God wanted to reach the ends of the earth so badly that he would allow persecution to come to their gathering in order to take them out of their comfort zone so God's mission could be fulfilled to the ends of the earth. And it says that ordinary men, ordinary women, not the apostles, actually scattered. The church, the people in the church, they actually got out and they began to go into Judea and Samaria to proclaim the gospel. Ordinary men and women filled with the Holy Spirit were scattered outside of their comfort zone for the very purpose of multiplying disciples. That's the very reason why they're scattered. Now look in verse 4. It says that those who were scattered, who's the those? The church, but not the apostles, not the preachers. The church, they were all scattered and went about what? Preaching the word. You mean these are non-preachers preaching the word? These are ordinary fishermen Ordinary laborers, ordinary students going out into the world to proclaim the word of Jesus? In verse, in verse 8, it says that there was much joy in that city. What if a church would be so filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit that wherever we go out, we proclaim the word of God, that the whole city would be full of joy? That the whole city would say, wow, God is near. Now listen, because it gets even better. Later in Acts chapter 8, the gospel reaches an Ethiopian, which is the start of the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 9, Saul the persecutor, remember the guy who actually organized the stoning of Stephen? It says Saul the persecutor actually meets Jesus and becomes a Christian. 
So this dude who once killed a dude because he was proclaiming Jesus actually becomes a follower of Jesus. That's, a, that's radical, is it not? So this guy becomes a Christian. In Acts chapter 10, the gospel and the Holy Spirit multiplies to the Gentiles, the irreligious. And then in Acts chapter 11, 19, we see that those who are scattered from Stephen's stoning actually start a church in Antioch, which was the people, not the apostles, that would go and start a church. The people, the ordinary people, would actually scatter to Antioch and start a church. Now watch this because it gets even better. In Acts chapter 13, the church of Antioch was used by God to send out Saul and Barnabas as missionaries. Like, I mean, are you getting this? The church at Antioch actually started because Saul was killing those fools. And now the church that started because they scattered is actually the church that sends out Saul as a missionary to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. Listen, in Acts chapter 13, you're seeing believers multiplied from Cyprus to Iconium. In chapter 14, you see Lystra and Syria, 15, Macedonia and, the, and Philippi. Believers multiply in chapter 17 to Thessalonica and, and chapter 18 to Corinth and in chapter 19 to Ephesus all the way to Rome. Now look at Acts chapter 19, verse 10. It says this multiplication actually continued so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Listen, all of Asia heard the gospel because God's plan of multiplication was to send people out filled with the Spirit and spread the word of God. All of Asia heard about Jesus. In one generation, the gospel multiplied and the church grew to over 400 times the size they were when they started. How big were they when they started? About 120. And God used a church of 120 to multiply, to spread the gospel over all of Asia. That is spirit-filled multiplication. Ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit, begin to proclaim the gospel to ordinary people who would then receive the gospel, be filled by the Spirit, and then proclaim the gospel to ordinary people. That's how it works. The good news of Jesus spread not only through the apostles, not only through gifted preachers, but through every man and woman who've received Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit to go and be fishers of men. That's the plan. And I don't know about you, but when we started this church, I so desired to be a part of a movement like that. I so desired to see men and women raised up to go and multiply this gospel into the unreached people groups and the unchurched and the unloved and the hurting, brokenness parts of the city, this nation, and the world. I so desire God to do that with us. And so one of our main foundations here at the church is sharing and multiplying, and we have got to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us to do that because it's going to take every one of us in our homes, in our streets, in our workplaces, in our schools, all the way to the ends of the earth. It's going to take every one of us. 
Write this down. I say multiplication is God's mission and design for his church. Multiplication is God's mission to fill you with the spirit so that you would be on mission for him. And it is God's design for the church. That's the plan to reach the ends of the earth. Now listen, this may be slow and it may be difficult and you may not see it at first, but multiplication must be part of who we are. Because listen, we can't settle for anything less. Even if it looks good, even if it looks right, multiplication must be part of our DNA. Sending must be a part of our DNA. Multiplication is our trait. Let me show you this. All right. Since we don't want to be a church that settles for anything less, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, I need two volunteers. Can I just get two volunteers? Come on, come on, come on, come on. You two. All right. All right. One of you stand right here. Come on, Chris. Stand, uh, stand right here. And uh, since you raise your hands first, I'm going to give you first choice. You got two options here. Okay. Okay. You can either receive ten thousand dollars a day every day for thirty days, or I can give you a penny and we'll double it every day for thirty days. I'll take the penny. The penny. Okay. You get this one. Go ahead and open that up. You get the $10,000 a day, all right? So there's the zeal. Okay. So here we got, this guy is given a penny, and every day we're going to double it, and then you're getting uh, $10,000, and uh, we're going to give you an additional $10,000 every day. So uh, let's look at day two. So on day two, you've got uh, two cents, rock and rolling. Uh, you've got $20,000, how are you feeling right now? Feeling uh, pretty poor. Okay. All right. <laughs> let's, go, let's go day three. All right. You got $30,000. You got four cents. Day four. Go ahead. You've got eight cents. And you have uh, $40,000. That's pretty awesome. Day five. 16 cents to $50,000. Okay, now let's fast forward this a little bit. Uh, let's go to day 10. Go ahead and flip the page. Day 10 should be next. Nope, you're on day 27. There you go. <laughs> day 10, you've got $5.12, and you've got $100,000. How does that make you feel right now? <laughs> In 10 days, 100000 and you've got five bucks. All right, let's go day 15. All right, you're getting up there. 163 to 150000 All right, let's go day 20. Oh, you actually broke the thousand mark. You're at $5,242 on day 20, and you're at $200,000. Are you regretting your decision yet? Okay, all right. All right. Because right now, she's, she's, she's raking it in. You're thinking, man, I don't, I don't know what I can really do with that. You can't even buy a new car with that. So uh, go ahead and uh, let's go uh, day 25. Go ahead. Okay, now we're getting a little closer. You're at 250,000, you're at 167. Let's go day by day now. Let's go day 26. Go ahead, next day. Oh, look at that. 335 to 260. Day 27, oh, $671,000 to 270. Let's go day 28. Oh, man. Day 28, 1,342,000 to 280,000. Go ahead and flip it, day 29. Let's go day 30. 
day 30, you end up with $5,368,000, and you end up with $300,000. It may look really good at first, just simply adding people to the number, but Jesus' call is to go and multiply disciples because that's how we reach the ends of the earth. Thank you, guys. Give them a, give them a big hand. God's work through the Holy Spirit is about multiplication. Listen, what if every five years, LifePoint Church would reach 100 people? What if we reached 100 people every five years? That means in 30 years, we would have 800 people. 800. It's pretty awesome. We'd reach 800 people. I would say, hell, I must be doing work here. And there's no doubt. But what if every five years we would reach 100 people, but then sent them out to start a new work? Sent them out to a place maybe where God was calling them to go? What if every five years we'd reach 100 people, but then sent them out to start a church, and then they, like us, every five years, would then send out another church, and we multiplied? In 30 years, we would have started 64 churches. 30 years. And if they all only had 100 people, it'd be 6,400 people reached for the gospel. I mean, what if we were a sending church and a multiplying church? Rather than just trying to gather, what if, we, what if we really diligently got on our knees and said, Holy Spirit, fill us with your power so that we can go and bear witness and lead us to the places that you're calling us to go and take us to the places that are unreached and lead us into a place where we would begin to multiply for your kingdom and your glory. Because we too desire to see the ends of the earth reached with your gospel. What if that was our call? Do you know what I think of when I hear those numbers, 64 churches in 30 years? I think my God is bigger than that. Oh, God, let us not limit you to that. Of course, we're humble, and we just simply want to say, God, would you use us, take us? But listen, we want to be about sending and multiplying because our God is about sending and multiplying. My God is bigger than that, and I don't want our vision to somehow limit God because we're, every one of us needs to be asking God, where are you sending me? So if you're a disciple of Jesus and you are empowered by the Spirit, listen to me. The question is not if you're called. The question is where and how are you called? Our final foundation at LifePoint Church is sharing the gospel and multiplying disciples. Multiplying disciples. Last thing you can write down is this. Whatever God has made you good at, do it for the glory of God. Whatever God has made you good at, do it for the glory of God, and then do it in a strategic place for the mission of God of making disciples. Listen, he's wired us. He's gifted each one of us differently. But he's, he wants you to use that for his glory in a strategic place so that more disciples would be made, filled with the Spirit, and sent out to make more disciples. For us, at LifePoint Church, we want the Great Commission to multiply disciples through the gospel to the ends of the earth, be the fire that burns within each one of us, not just a few.
We're asking all of you to ask God to fill you with that power. Let's pray for that right now. Oh, Jesus. Your promise is that you would hear us when we call to you. Your word actually says that when your children ask for good gifts, you wouldn't give them something else. If we'd ask for the Holy Spirit, you said that you would give it. You wouldn't give us a stone or something else. Lord, you would genuinely give it to us. And so, Lord, I can't help but think in my walk with you how many times I felt powerless, how many times I felt alone, how many times I felt left on my own to somehow do this this thing you've asked me to do. But Lord, today, as men and women in, in your presence, we're asking you, God, to take away all of our fears, all of our insecurities, and fill us with power. Just like the early church, we're asking you to come and make us witnesses. Make us light. Make us fishers of men. It is not my power, my strategy, or my strength. I'm asking you to send your spirit right now and fill me with a burning desire. Fill us with a burning desire to reach the nations with your gospel. May it start with our friends or our family. May it start right here in our own church. Give us a passion. Give us a desire. Fill us with your spirit. You said it's better. It's better. So let us today experience the betterness of your spirit in us. Compel us and move us. Shape us. Let us see your name multiplied through this city and through this world. God, we're asking you in Jesus' name. Some of you are here right now. I'm going to just ask you to be honest right where you sit. If you're here today and you just simply confess that you've not really experienced the power of the Spirit to give you boldness, You know the things or the doctrines of it, but you've not ever experienced that. Today, I'm just going to simply ask you to confess and say, I want want God to fill me today. I want God to use me in that way. If that's you, would you just simply raise your hand and put it right back down? Nothing crazy. Just, Just acknowledge that. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Lord, you see our hands and you see our hearts. Lord, many of us have been doing this thing called Christianity, but Lord, if we are honest, something's missing. And so today we're asking you, God, through your spirit, through your empowerment, raise us up. Teach us what it means in the moment to be bold for you, to live for you. Make us fishers. Amen. Lord, from now on, let us live changed. From now on, let us live transformed. From now on, let us live with some urgency to multiply disciples for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.